0: Let's continue our morning in prayer. Lord, this morning we want to pray, first of all, for a people group uh, that we're, uh, I think, as far as I know, pretty much completely unfamiliar with, uh, but we can lift them up this morning knowing that you know them, the Bohoy people of India, uh, 6.3 million people, 0.00% of which are Christian. Lord, this morning before we climb into your word as we continue our corporate uh, Worship time, Lord, we want to bring this people group before you and ask you to draw them to yourself. Lord, we, uh, we pray that you would make people uncomfortable with um, the thought of 6.3 million people who don't know your name. Pray that you would stir people to go to far corners, like to this people group, the boy people. Lord, we pray that you would um, uh, galvanize us, mobilize, mobilize us, move us to not only share with our workmates and our neighbors, but to be burdened for those in the far corners. Lord, we lift up this people this morning. pray that you are um, working in hearts and minds there already, stirring, giving dreams, visions, um, creating an, an itch in this people group that can only be... Uh, tended to with the good word and the good seed that's sown by your people going. We beg for them, Lord. We beg that you draw them to you. Uh, Lord, also this morning we want to lift up a couple of our little brothers, uh, Trevor and Everett. Uh, We continue to um, plead on their behalf for healing and treatment and health. Lord, we know that you are able. We declare and enjoy that you are capable uh, with the, the... The same power that spoke creation into existence with just the simple decision that you can heal their bodies. We beg for that. Uh, Lord, also we uh, pray for their families um, that you would sustain them and uh, give them a clear, clear vision of a good father, a good shepherd. Uh, Lord, also... um, I want to pray for um, another church in our community, and specifically a a church down the road that's connected to us closely at Crosspoint Community Church in Rockwall. Uh, We are so blessed to uh, see how you are moving there and how you're you're growing them and the health that they're experiencing, Lord. Uh, We pray for Kai and for Ryan and for Lance and their families, Lord. We just pray that you would um, just bless them, Lord, just um, give them uh, just a joy in the work Give them a like-mindedness, a, a single heart as they're about to work together in Rockwall, Lord. We pray that you would uh, connect them to people uh, both in Rockwall and the surrounding area and that also among them that you would mobilize people to the far corners. We're thankful for the, the, um, the brothers and sisters that are gathering with them this morning uh, that we know and those that we don't um, but will spend glory with. We're entrusting them to you and pray that you would bless them this morning as they gather. Or lastly, I just want to pray that you would bless us um, as we uh, christen this year in some ways with a a sermon, a time of uh, worship, a time in your word looking forward. Lord, I pray that you would give us um, well-directed, well-aimed eyes. You've already given us the the best of uh, possible views, Uh, but Lord, we pray that you would uh, just draw us. To have a vision of our Lord. Um, Just turning this time over to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Some of the big events of the last decade. The iPad came out in 2010. iPad. I think we have a couple of them now. They're like um, paperweights or something. I don't know if they work anymore. (laughs) Um, 33 Chilean miners were rescued from a cave in 2010. (laughs) There was a 7.0 magnitude earthquake in Haiti in 2010. Lady Gaga wore a meat dress in 2010. It's crazy the stuff that happens over the course of time. And you just can't see coming. That's one that you would have never imagined. Prince William and Cat- Catherine Middleton uh, were married in 2011. Uh, the last of the Harry Potter series was in 2011. Osama bin Laden was killed in 2011. And everybody was planking in 2011. In 2012, the Gangnam Style Dancing video came out and ends up being the most watched video in the history of YouTube. It's just bizarre. Aaron Hamilton sent it to me. Aaron Hamilton is like a connoisseur of weird videos, and he sent it to me, of course. Gangnam Style Dancing. 2013, the Boston Marathon bombing. 2013, we tried to figure out what in the world the fox says. (laughs) Aaron Hamilton sent me that video, too. Same guy. 2014, everybody was doing the Ice Bucket Challenge. 2015, we debated over the color of a dress, like ad nauseum. Remember that? 2015, same-sex marriage was legalized. 2017, everybody was fidgeting with fidget spinners. 2017, there was a total eclipse. In 2017, the Me Too movement started. In 2018, there was another royal wedding. In 2018, a kid's soccer team that was trapped in a cave in Thailand was rescued. In 2019, a week ago, about the time that we're sitting here right now in this very moment, not far from us in White Settlement, a church experienced what seems now unthinkable and is all too familiar Round about the same time that Greg came up to preach last week. What in the world is in store for us in this next decade? I mean, we could populate the rest of these, these things that happened in the last 10 years with all kinds of things that have happened to your families, in our community, uh, in our church, as individuals, all sorts of things. What's in store for us in the next decade? There is no Predicting One thing we can know for sure, just looking back in the last 10, is that it's going to be eventful. We can bank on eventful. And we'd be wise as a people to consider where we'll look in 2020 and where we'll look into this next decade. So turn, if you would, with me to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to ask you this morning, I'm going to give you a moment to find the passage I'd send 1,008 of your uh, Bible that's under your seat there. If you don't have a Bible, you're invited to take that Bible and make it your very own. You can mark it up and take notes in it. You can underline things. But I'm going to ask us to do, if you would, do something a little unique this morning when I read our passage. I'll ask you to stand for the reading of the Word this morning. We'll christen our decade, this next decade, with a high view, which I already know we have, of God's Word. So you can stand with me. Hebrews chapter 12. Beginning in verse 1, I'm just going to read through the first couple of words of verse 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Let's pray again. Lord, we pray that you would uh, unpack this passage for us this morning. Lord, we pray that you would make this uh, part of our story in this next decade, that we would connect to the rich, rich truths of this passage. Do your work through the Holy Spirit. We're begging for that in Christ's precious name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. This passage was written to the Hebrew church, to a church uh, that was also going through eventful times. We're going to consider just a few of those events for context. I think it's important. Some of the circumstances that were common to the Hebrew church. First of all, they were living in ancient times. And in ancient times, they obviously didn't have the resources that we have, medical-type resources, and common sicknesses and things like that could kill somebody. Uh, There were none of the creature comforts that we experience today. Uh, A few years ago on a sabbatical, my family and I had the chance to go to Rome in the summer. And I will tell you right now, to me, one of the things that I'm uh, thinking about, probably the most brutal thing of 2,000 years ago life in Rome, is that they did not have air-conditioning. I'm telling you, it was brutal. I could not believe how hot it was in Rome. The fact that they didn't have AC is terrible enough. Just being human 2,000 years ago was hard. So let's start right there. Now let's hone in a little bit and consider specifically what life would have been like for the Hebrew church in Rome. One of the things that's unique that we realized when we were there uh, some years ago, I was reading a book about the, the Hebrew context. I was reading a book about the Hebrews. We were planning to to begin preaching Hebrews at the end of the sabbatical or after we returned from sabbatical. Uh, we had a guide. Um, what was her name? Lara. Lara, sweetest little lady. She, she knew so much about Rome, so much about Christian history, so much about... Um, uh, the Roman history, the imp- history of the empire, she was a wonderful resource for us. One of the things that really was staggering to realize is that she, she told us, as well as the book that I was reading, is that the Hebrew quarters in Rome was right across the Tiber River from the Roman Forum. Okay, The Roman Forum is called the, was called in ancient times the Magnum Forum. I mean, this place was the seat of power for an empire. It's ruins now. And it's, it's, it has this, this overwhelming, awe-inspiring presence. So I cannot imagine what it must have been like 2,000 years ago. And the little Hebrew church that was likely a collection of little house churches were in eyeshot. I mean, the geography slopes down to the Tiber River from the Hebrew quarters to the Tiber River up to the Roman Forum. They would have been able to see the seat of power for an empire from day. I thought in some ways this may have been sort of like an ancient version of what we experience today where we know the news as it unfolds in that very minute because of technology. They knew that because of geography. Man, that would have been nice to know the news, but they wouldn't have been able to get it out of sight or out of mind either because it's right across the river. Their fates were decided on that court in a Roman Empire And they were often decided by deranged monsters that they could see walking those courts. Like Caligula, like Nero, like Domitian. Christian life was hard in ancient Rome. Literally right under the flagpole. Now here's the third reason that the context would have... have, Is it really important for us to consider what life was like for them? Is it really in some ways the diagnostic of the most difficult and painful suffering that they endured is the point of the Hebrew letter. The most painful, most difficult suffering that they endured were from the Jews. See, they're converted Jews. They are what we would call today Messianic Jews. The Hebrew church is populated by these folks that have converted from Judaism to Christianity and the most severe punishment, the most severe suffering that they experienced was at the hand of other Jews. Man, right there under the flagpole. And what made it difficult for them is sort of the point of the book, and the reason the Hebrew pastor is writing to them is he's urging them to not bail on Judaism, they're, are, are not bail on Christianity. They're actually considering going back to Judaism. Man, it's shocking how, how, what they're even considering, and we'll talk about that more a little bit more in a minute, but it's really crazy that the suffering and persecution they must have experienced right at the hands of their own Jewish brothers and sisters, and their own family members. If you think that's kind of hard to imagine, I'll tell you right now, uh, this is a little window into life, uh, at least in 2020 now, for at least the McGraws. Our daughter-in-law is a converted Jew. She's converted to Christianity. And we've experienced little tastes of that sort of persecution already. Already. And you can imagine what that must have been like 2,000 years ago. In a context, there's a little more primitive in how they might deal with something like that. Those are some context for the things that the Hebrew church was going through. Now, let's consider for a moment some of their current events. Okay, We consider some of our current events looking back 10 years ago and imagining together what our current events might unfold or what might unfold for us in the next 10. Here are some of their current events, some of the things that happened right under their noses in the 10 years that led up to the writing of this letter and in the 10 years or so after The writing of the letter. First of all, Nero was emperor. If you've read anything about Nero you can imagine how that would have affected their life right there. Nero was emperor from 54 AD to 68 AD. After that was a man named Otho for a year, Vitellius for for a year, Vespasian from that point until 79 AD, and then a man named Titus from 79 to 81 AD. Titus was the general who led the army in what was actually called the Jewish-Roman War. Okay, so let that context hit you for a moment. The Jewish-Roman War. You're a Jew living in Rome, and there's a Jewish-Roman War. It would be sort of like being a Japanese person living, a Japanese-American living in 1941 in the United States. You might find yourself in an internment camp. There's one about 50 miles from here. In Seagoville. Man, life must have been really, really difficult for them during this time. What also happened during that Roman-Jewish war was the destruction of their temple in A.D. 70. The visual aid, I mean the visual sight, the visual identity, the central point of the Jewish faith, the temple, was destroyed along with the rest of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Imagine that news reaching Jewish Christians in Rome. Add to the current events for them, Vesuvius erupted in 79 AD. Pompeii and Herculaneum were buried in ash with 100,000 times the thermal energy of Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs. 100,000 times the thermal energy. We're talking about news that literally rocked an empire within a decade or so of when this letter was written to this church. He's preparing them for eventful times. Add to that, in 80 AD, the Colosseum was built also in Isha. If you're familiar with the Roman form, if you've been there, or if you've studied it, right at the end of the Roman Forum is the Colosseum. If you're in the Hebrews' quarters, not only can you see the Colosseum, you could probably see what was going on in the Colosseum. Man, the center of blood sport. Sometimes, oftentimes, involving Christians as lion food in eye shot. Man, life in their times was seriously eventful. And we're talking about this letter was written to a church on the bubble. A church on the the bubble that far from going back to Judaism and bailing on Christianity because it's hard. So the Hebrews preacher is writing a letter to them and he's got some great words in chapter 12 that we're going to look at here in a moment. But let me just sort of, sit, just sort of summarize the book up to this point. The first 10 chapters of the book of, of Hebrews are really in some ways the Hebrew preacher saying all that you had over here in Judaism pales in comparison to all that you have in Christ. Jesus is better than Joshua. Jesus is better than angels. Apparently the ancient Jews sort of had this angel focus. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than all these things over here. In some ways, it'd be like what they're considering. I was thinking this is the dumbest illustration in the world. It would be like them considering trading their iPhone 11 Max Pro, which is so dumb to me. Why is it a pro? Do you have to be a pro in some way to carry it? Does it make you a pro? It's dumb. The iPhone 11 Max Pro for the iPhone 1 2G. Remember that? It's like made out of wood. (laughs) Who would do that? Or like a flip phone. It's a terrible illustration, but it's one that you can visualize. They're thinking about trading the substance that is Christ for what they had before, the shadow that they had in their Jewish Faith, Man, they're trading their birthright for a bowl of soup is the bottom line. So in chapters 1 through 10, he's developing. Jesus is better than all that you had over there. Don't go back. And then in chapter 11, he encourages them further with the heroes of the saints. Chapter, a beautiful chapter. Encouraging them with the reality that they're not alone in their struggles, but they are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Man, for them, he hearkens back to guys like Abel, Enoch, Abraham, Moses, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. We spent time every, one Sunday at a time considering each of them. Heroes of the faith who endured before them, who are according to them, witnesses to how they're navigating faith in uncertain and difficult times there in Rome. He says the clouds are full. You can't, the, the, the stands are full with a great cloud of witnesses. You can't see them, but they're there and they're watching, and they're cheering. Man, just let that hit you for a moment because we have a cloud of witnesses surrounding us as well. The stands are full of those that go before us. We could add those names to ours, Abel, Enoch, Abraham, Moses, Samson, people we didn't necessarily know but we know about. We might add some family member in there, somebody that... Some patriarch or matriarch in your family that was faithful for me was my granddad, Harvey Dan McGraw. A heritage that I think of often that he left for me. We together have some other names of folks that are sitting in the stands that we can think about and enjoy and reflect on. Folks like Keith McCord. Folks like Billy Vaughn. Betty Lakey. Right, Barbara? Betty Lakey. What a treasure. Leland Moody. Anybody know Leland Moody, the Lelandator? Man, he's in the stands cheering for you. And we could add very recently to those in the stands cheering for us, Channing Edwards. Man, the stands are full of those who are cheering for us to go the distance. Mm. You're not alone, in what you'll face in 2020 in the next decade because the stands are full of watching saints. He says, therefore, therefore, in this passage, therefore, we're looking back at the Hebrews chapter 12 passage, therefore, this particular use of therefore is used only in one other place in our Bible in 1 Thessalonians. It means consequently, as a consequence of the stands being full of a great cloud of witnesses, and I'm going to read again verse 1. As a consequence of those being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. The Hebrews preacher encourages this church that's struggling in very difficult and eventful times. He encourages them with a metaphor of running as a journey of faith. Like running. Running. Like some of those that actually do that. Like running a race and running as a metaphor of the faith. And he encourages, first of all, that we run laying aside encumbrances. You know, whenever somebody says, hey man, I'm going to go out for a run. Some of you guys exercise regularly and you run. I, I bet none of you, and I never see anybody ever do this, go running with their groceries. Or go running with a backpack of extra gear, unless they're going out for some sort of ultra run. Or unless there's some sort of CrossFitter or something. They're gonna put a bunch of extra weight on and go run, right, Neil? Most people don't do that. Most people are taking off all the heavy stuff so they can run lightweight with like lycra and light shoes and a light running cap that you can hardly even feel. We're trying to run light because we know running with encumbrances isn't that joyful. It's not that fruitful. Or it may be fruitful, but it's not enjoyable. I actually, back in the days when I was studying exercise physiology, There's sort of a going rate that people used in in sort of elite athlete circles. And the going rate was two seconds per pound per mile. If you have extra weight on your body, non-contributing running weight, and it doesn't have to be fat, it could be fat, it could be muscle. If you're like Popeye and you got big old biceps, it's not going to help you run. Okay, so it's two seconds per pound per mile. That may not sound like a lot, but when you say somebody's like 40 pounds overweight... And they're gonna run a 10K, you sort of populate that out and realize they're gonna finish a long time behind the guy that's 40 pounds lighter because they're running with encumbrances. They're running with extra weight. Here's the bottom line the leaner folks are better at dissipating heat, they're better at mobilizing uh, glycogen, they're better at utilizing carbohydrates, they're better at utilizing oxygen. People that are carrying around all this extra weight have a difficult time doing any of the above. And the more non-contributing weight that you have, not only are you slower, but it's just harder to run. You're likely to get a bumper sticker that Christy gave me years ago. I asked for it, so she didn't do it. It wasn't like a zinger. She gave me one of those 0.0 stickers. You ever seen them? You ever seen those? To get a 26.2. Look at me. I ran a marathon. No big deal. 0.0, I don't run. They actually said it right there. I don't run. You have enough extra weight, and if you're encumbered enough, you're just not even going to run. And the charge here is to lay aside the encumbrances of extra weight. And specifically what he's talking about is unrepentant sin. Lay aside the weight of unrepentant sin. And then he develops it further at the type of running that we're doing. It's endurance running. This faith journey is very much a metaphor of running, but it's also a metaphor. of the type of running is endurance, marathon-type running or ultra-marathon-type running. It is not a sprint. It is an event that requires endurance. Okay, now, we got y'all to the point where I'm ready to really savor something sweet. Okay, if you've captured all this up to this point, let's together... Enjoy where he takes this Hebrew church in these next few moments. He's encouraged a church that is living in eventful times, in difficult times, a church that's on a bubble, a church that's considering going back to Judaism, going back to the iPhone 2G, iPhone 1 made out of wood. Man, he's encouraging that church to not bail on Jesus, but to lay aside all the encumbrances, to run the race with endurance, and to do that with this sweet modifier. Looking To Jesus. Looking to Jesus. The New American Standard, I appreciate the New American Standard passage mainly because Christy and I years ago memorized this passage. We were talking about this passage this week and how it's nourished us over the years. The word there is fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I love the New American Standard, but it misses what I think we should get is that this is a present-tense verb. It's captured here in the ESV. Looking. Looking to Jesus. Run the race with endurance. Lay aside those encumbrances. present tense, looking to Jesus. Sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? Like, hey, man, that's, that's a given. We got that. But let me just kind of point something out to you. We as human beings have looking problems. The Hebrew church needed this reminder 2,000 years ago, and we need this reminder today at the beginning of a new decade. Because we have looking problems. Let me kind of give you a little window into a few of our looking problems. Here's a passage in 1 John chapter 3. It has to, it's a charge from John to the, to the early church to not love the world. See, loving the world is, is as old as the church. The potential there for loving the world. And here's what he says about not loving the world. Listen to this passage in chapter 2 of 1 John. He says, Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world... Listen, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, the boastful pride of life, another version says. And a little note at the bottom says the pride in our possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. We've got looking problems. I don't think it's any mistake that the desires of our, the eyes are right embedded within the middle of those two things. Okay, look at what they are again. The desires of the flesh and the boastful pride of life, the pride in possessions, what's right in the middle is the desires of the eyes because that's where it starts. When you fall in love with the world, when you're loving the things that we shouldn't be loving, it starts with the eyes. When Demas fell in love with the world and walked away from the faith, that's where it started. When you cheat on your wife, that's where it starts with your eyes, men, where you're looking. Man, it starts with the eyes. We have looking problems. And it's as old, not even just as the church. It's as old as mankind. We have looking problems. In chapter 3 of Genesis, it says this. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You know how the passage goes. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw... She saw the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes. This is a human problem, people. She saw it was a delight to the eyes that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She gave to her husband who was with her and he ate as well. You know the story. We have looking problems. And the charge here for the ancient Hebrew church and the charge for us this morning is to look instead at Christ. Present tense. We don't just have looking problems with stuff of the world, though. I wish that was it. We have looking problems with circumstance as well. Can I read just a little short narrative to you? It'll be familiar to you when I start reading it. But I want you to think about where the subject is looking. Matthew chapter 14 Jesus tells his disciples to get in the boat. He's just fed the multitudes. He's going to cross the sea. They're going to cross the sea in the boat. There's a storm that night. Uh, the fourth watch of the night, Jesus comes to them walking on the sea in the storm. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they're terrified. They said, it's a ghost. You know the story. You know how it goes. He said, ah, don't be afraid. It is I. It's actually an I am statement. He says, I am. And then at that moment, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But Peter, like us, has a looking problem. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Man, we have a looking problem, not just with stuff, but we have a looking problem also with circumstances. Man, we can get focused on our circumstances, can't we? We can take our eyes off Jesus, and before long, we're looking at the waves crashing. We're looking at what the wind is doing. We're looking at the boat rocking. We're looking at all the things except from him, and this is precisely what happens to us. Thankfully, we have the kind of Lord that then reaches out and pulled Peter up and put him in the boat. Amen? <laughs> Thankfully, he can do that to us as well when we go looking in the wrong places. But the bottom line is we tend to look at all the wrong things because we have a looking problem. And the Hebrew pra- pastor encourages this church 2,000 years ago with what I believe our Lord is encouraging us with this morning is that we are to look to Christ's present tense. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus present tense while we navigate faith, enduring and laying aside encumbrances today. The Hebrew preacher called this church to focus on Christ while the wind of the Roman Empire was blowing, while the waves were crashing, while the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life and all sorts of promises they were being inundated with. And they didn't have the inundating resources and influences that we have today. I'm convinced Google is listening to us, right? Some people's nodding. I see you. You know what I'm talking about. You got your phone sitting in the room. All right, I'm not wearing aluminum foil on my head right now. I don't wear it at home, okay? I'm not one. Not kind of a kook or anything, but isn't it strange? You can be sitting around your den. Your phone is just sitting there, and you're just chit-chatting, and you're just talking, about something a few months ago i was talking about wanting to get a pair of patagonia pants all right I love patagonia gear they make good gear and i had a pair of pants i was like man those pants look cool i want to get a pair of those pants and i can't even remember who i was talking about it with but then i went to go open my computer and i'm looking and i was on facebook or something and there's like patagonia ads right there and then i go get on instagram and there's patagonia ads right there and then i go on the news and there's like Patagonia adds right there. It's not coincidence. I'm telling you, they're listening. We're inundated with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life and the pride in our positions. Man, we have looking problems, and we're being inundated with all kinds of things to distract us. And the Hebrew preacher is saying, if you want to go the distance, you've got to focus on the right thing. you got to focus on something, first of all, but you got to focus on the right thing. Uh, years ago, I went through a SEER school. It's survival, evasion, resistance, escape training. Marine Corps uh, is a Navy Marine Corps um, training event, and there was a guy that there was the part. One of our trainers' name is Doug Hegdal. Doug Hegdal was a Navy seaman. He's serving on the deck of the ship during the Vietnam War, and something happened. I don't know if the sea state was bad or something, but the guy fell off a ship. And so he survived, which it was probably a frigate or something small, you know, because if it's a carrier, you follow the ship, you're going to die just from the impact, you know. But he fell off the ship, and he got picked up by a Vietnamese fishing boat. He spent the next four or five, I think it was five years in the Hanoi Hilton, a POW camp. And they were convinced he was lying to him. He's saying, I'm just a Navy seaman. I know nothing. I don't know any plans. And they, uh, he's got special ops. He's a liar. So he spent five years in a POW camp. You know what kept him sane? What he says kept him sane? He memorized over 250 social security numbers of those who were either dead or in prisoner camps in Vietnam. Their names and their social security numbers. 250 social security numbers. He occupied his mind with something fruitful so that he could endure and that he could go the distance in something excruciating. He told us a story during our training about a, a guy that was in camp with him that in his mind, occupied his mind. When you'd spend days or weeks in some sort of little you know, darkness or you know, in some sort of pit, you know, dungeon-type thing, I don't know what, what you'd call it. This, this particular guy built a watch in his head, clock. He built this thing in his head, and then when he got out, when he was actually released, and he knew nothing about clocks, by the way. He built this imagine Clay, you could probably do this. You're probably doing it right now. He built his clock in his head, and then when he got out, he built it and it worked. Isn't that the coolest story? But he occupied himself with something fruitful so that he could go the distance in a very difficult circumstance. The point there that Doug Hegdal was making for us is, focus on something so that you can endure. Don't focus on the circumstances. Don't focus on the pain or the struggle. And let me tell you something this morning, people. There's a one-point sermon this morning. And the one-point sermon comes from verse 3. It's the only command in this passage. It's the only imperative in this passage. And it's the word, consider him. Consider Christ. We know who he's talking about because he just said looking to Jesus. That's the modifier for how we lay aside encumbrances. The modifier for how we run the race with endurance. He says, consider him. This is the charge of the passage to the Hebrew church This is the command This is the direction for our people living in difficult and unpredictable times Consider Christ This word consider, the Greek word is ana, anal, analogizomai <laughs> I have to figure out where to put the emphasis Analogitsomai. you break that down, you think about that for a minute Analysis, yeah that comes from there that's precisely what's being said there. Analyze Christ. The word in the ancient Greek meant to reason up by conclusion, by moving through the needed thought processes. That's analysis. To add things up, reckoning from premise to conclusion, especially by repeated, nuanced reflection. That's a fancy way of saying, maybe a scientific way, of linguistically way of saying, Worship. You mean to consider him over and over again repeatedly and to analyze him and to consider the nuance and consider the shades and the details and all that he is and all that he's done and all that he's doing and his being and his person? Yes, there's a word for that. It's called worship. And he encourages the Hebrew church to worship, considering Christ. See, here's the point He's the clock. He's the clock. He's the list of social security numbers. He's the focus. He's who we look to in this race of faith, this journey, this running event called life. He's who we look to. He's also, by the way, the finish line. (laughs) He's also the prize you get at the end. And he's also the nourishment that you dine on as you run. Man, can we spend just a Sunday before we begin this new decade together and just consider together that He is truly it? He was only it. He was truly it in the last decade that we spent together. And He will only ever be it in this next decade. We will never have anything else to offer but Christ. But He's enough, He's ample, He's it. And the charge for them 2,000 years ago, the remedy was not let's go fix all your problems and your circumstances. It was fix your eyes on Jesus instead, in those problems and in those circumstances. He's it. We don't graduate out of Him, we don't move to some new level now where we might assume Him. We continue looking to Him, considering Him. Fixing our eyes on him. That is the journey of faith. That is the work. I'll just share with you briefly. uh, I have a daughter who's here this morning. And and I I, I enjoy that over the years she has prompted me with a very simple question after a sermon like this. How? Right? Kate, she's smiling because she knows Evan McGraw. Evan just says what a lot of you are thinking. I hope most of you are thinking. How? This sounds great. I'm in the middle of problem X. Or I'm in the middle of distracting situation one. Or difficult situation two. Whatever. How do we fix our eyes on Jesus? There's some really nice helps in this passage. Really nice helps. And they're simple. And this takes about two minutes. So it's two minutes well spent before we land the plane. Some really great practical helps for 2020 and the next decade. So we can walk out here and go, what are some things we can do? Okay, here's a couple of them. First of all, we fix and we endure looking to Christ together. (laughs) Pretty pretty high speed. I really caught you. That's really complicated, really hard. It's actually not. It's so simple. We lay aside our encumbrances. What are the words that begin with that? Let us lay aside those things that encumber us. And where's that next let us? Let us together endure. Man, there's nothing fancy. There's nothing special. We don't need smoke and mirrors. We don't need dancing girls. We don't need any sort of light show. No no, uh, special effects. All we need is to consider that we need to do these things together. How do we look to Christ? How do we fix our eyes on Christ? Well, we do it together. There's three other let, it, let us's that are really handy, come in handy in the book of Hebrews. And they can, we can add those to these three in, in chapter 10, verses 19. Let's look at these. And then we're going we're to close the sermon out. But it's so good for the how. Because these have some really practical hows in there. Verse 19 of chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. He's just exposed all that Christ is and all, the, all that he's done. How much better he is than Judaism. He's the fulfillment. Of all that shadow. He's the substance. And since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, since we have a great uh, priest over the house of God, look, look. there's a familiar couple words to us. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hmm. Let us draw near together. You want to know how to do that? Let me give you a little little tip on how to do that. You're doing it. We're doing it right now. We're drawing near together to hear a word from the Lord through the teaching and preaching of the word. We're drawing near together to fellowship together. We're drawing near together to have a meal together here in just a moment. We're drawing near together precisely at this very moment. Man, that's pretty practical, isn't it? Here's another little let us, another practical one. Let us hold fast the confidence of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Okay, so let us draw near together and let us hold fast together. Okay, so we're going to hold fast to Christ together. So the point really so far is just stick, stick together. Stick together. Man, the Israelite that's crossing through the wilderness that gets off by himself is like the antelope that leaves the, the, the herd. You know what happens to the antelope that leaves the herd? He gets eaten by a lion. <laughs> Man, you need a good practical help on how to walk this out? Well, stick with your buddies. Stick with the people of God as we draw near, as we hold fast together. And then the third, let us really plays this out. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Could it get any more simple? We stick together. That's how we look to Jesus. We do it together. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider, let us lay aside encumbrances, let us not forsake the gathering of the saints, let us run with endurance. We do those things together. Y'all, we live in a community that says we don't need any of those things. We live in a community that's full of folks that say they love Jesus, but they don't need the church. It's a churchless Christianity. It's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. We live and work with people. We go to school with people. We work with, I mean, people are in our communities that are saying, man, I think Jesus is pretty awesome, but I've got no use for his wife. I don't need her because I can draw near because me and Jesus were square. They miss out on all the let us's. I don't know how you can go the distance without all these things, doing these things together. Man, that's the beauty of how we look to Christ. Man, we do it. Together, There's no braving the difficulties and challenges we'll face in 2020 unless we do it together. There is no braving those difficulties, but we can do them together because we endure together as we look together. Even consider is a plural command. We consider Him together. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for this word. We're thankful for these circumstances that we had a chance to sort of connect to in this ancient context. And we're thankful that really there's nothing new under the sun in the Christian journey and what was good for them is good for us. Lord, we are thankful that Christ is enough. We're thankful that whatever this next decade holds and whatever it serves up, that we can look to Christ and be sustained together. Lord, please... Blind our our eyes and, and guard our ears, deafen our ears from the lies of Satan that we can go it alone, that we don't need each other, that each other's not good enough to come alongside us, that other people won't understand, that they won't be a help. Lord, somehow guard us from the lies of Satan. Give us a view to what you do with God's people when we stick together looking to Christ. Lord, I pray this as a blessing over this people this morning, that you will bless us with a Christ-centered focus, that you will fix us together, our eyes together on Christ, whatever this next 10 years together may hold. We beg for that, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.